Hey, do me a favor and just turn and greet somebody for about 60 seconds. Tell them hi, great to see you. Give them some love. And I just want to say to those of you online with us today, Destiny Table New York, uh, our friends from Florida who actually filled out a Connect card last week and we were able to send you a, uh, a card just uh, to say thank you. We really appreciate you all being online with us. And there is community for you online. If you'll send us an email or write in the chat, uh, we'd love to connect. You can also text DESTINY to the number that will be up and you can uh, fill out a Connect card. We'd love to get you involved in helping us and ministering to others online as a part of our online family. God bless you. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we have um, last week took a look at the reality that God's people were in the bondage of Egypt. And uh, those people, you have to understand, they were God's hope for humanity. How many you know we're hoping Jesus will save the world and he's hoping we will save the world in agreement with his work that he's already done? And so uh, here, you know, the people of, of God were in bondage and through these people, God wanted to do a mighty work of deliverance, not only deliverance for them, but then deliverance through them from them where you and I today would stand in the legacy of God's faithfulness in the earth. And so we talked about how those were actually giant killers that were enslaved in Egypt and God was drawing them out. They were the giant killers of their day in the bondage of the world system. And um, I was there. How about you? How many of you did not know Jesus before and you understand what it is to be in the bondage of the world system? Can I hear an amen what it is to come out? <laughs> I'm so thankful to be free from that, but I also know that it's a journey, not a destination. This is a really important reality that we understand today. Serving God is a journey, not a destination. Humility is a journey, not a destination. If humility were a destination, then you would achieve humility and then be proud of achieving humility, and that would be a problem in and of itself. So we're on this journey of knowing the Lord, walking with the Lord. And so these giant killers, last week we talked about how God drew them out of Egypt, and now this week we want to talk about how giant killers in the wilderness and what we can learn about the process of walking out and working out our salvation with fear and trembling, which the Bible tells us to do. I love it that God met the Israelites right where they were. Like, this is a big thing for us as Christians. So many times we feel like we kind of have to dress it up, pretend we're something we're not, get to a certain place before God will work with us. I just want you to know God does his best work in your place of honesty, even if you find that place disgusting. I mean, I'm just being for real. We need to understand this. It's so important in the day that you and I live in, and a lot of people don't get that. And we start trying to present something. It's easy for me to come up here and try and pretend like I have it more together than I actually do because I don't. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's going to be obvious from a few of the stories I'm going to share with you today. Uh, but we're all on this journey, and it's the heart and the love and the life of Christ as he kind of draws out of us what he's desiring to draw out of us so that he can deposit in us the things of God he desires for us to possess. So God met these Israelites right where they were. He performed miracle after miracle to get them out of Egypt. But he continued performing miracle after miracle, not just to get them out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of them. God didn't want to just bring you out of the world system so that you could be a religious person who functions like the world does. You know, that's why Paul says in the New Testament, you're acting like mere men 
ordinary people, one translation says. I just want you to know, you are not mere men, you are not mere women, you are sons and daughters of God. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And we need to learn to live in light of eternity in the way we prioritize the things of our life. I mean, you know, I just said a, a, a monumental statement that we need to really embrace. Like, your life needs to be shaped by eternal priorities, not the temporal pursuits that everybody around you is chasing. Uh, it's great if you can, you know, achieve great success and have a phenomenal education and, and you know, get married and, and have a retirement. And all those things are wonderful, but you were just born for so much more than trying to accomplish temporal objectives. There's an eternal perspective God wants us all to possess. So here's what I want us to understand. The greatest work God does in our lives is not what God does for us, but what God does in us, causing us to become who he designed us to be in the first place. We're constantly asking God to do something for us. How many of you have asked God to do something for you, and then it didn't happen the way you were asking? Is that anybody else in the room? And, and some of us are sitting here right now with some frustration about unanswered prayer or difficulty that we've faced that we can't make heads or tails of. And this is the Israelites walking through the wilderness, and we're going to see this today so clearly. But I mean, opposition is part of the process. Struggle produces strength. I mean, no, that's a reality. I was reading this one time several years ago and just looking at this, and, and I started really honestly got frustrated with God. And it's okay to be honest if you ever get frustrated with God. Uh, you, can, you can actually yell at God, and he won't be offended by that. He appreciates our honesty. I'm convinced of that. I have rolled up my windows, went somewhere in a car, and had a shout match with God. You're never going to win, but at least it makes you feel better. <laughs> And so uh, I, I was just reading this one time, and I got kind of frustrated. I was like, my goodness, I mean, ten, you know, all these plagues are happening before they finally get out, and then they finally get out, and they're walking toward the Red Sea, and then they get stuck facing the Red Sea with this army chasing behind them, these, these poor slaves that have come out, and they're trying, you know, these are giant killers, and it's just like, I'm, I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, why'd they have to get sandwiched? Wouldn't it have been cool? I mean, if God would have consulted me on this, I would have told them this is the way it should happen. They come out, and as they come out, the Red Sea parts well in advance. It's all open up, and they're like, yes, further confirmation. We're going the right way. And then they would go through, and as soon as they got past, all the water would then close in over those chasing them. And then they would find, uh, you know, water every few hours that they would get to drink. But no, the Bible says that after they faced the opposition of the Red Sea, then they got through it. Then they went three days into the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine how thirsty they must have been three days into the wilderness before they found any water? And then when they found the water, it wasn't drinkable. I mean, I'm just reading this thinking, Lord, what are you doing? And that's how I feel in my own life sometimes. And I just felt in that moment, the Lord started saying to me, I want to take you to a greater place of maturity where you don't just know my salvation, but you know me intimately as your Savior. Where you don't just know my healing, but you know me intimately as your healer. Where you don't just know my deliverance, but you know me intimately as, my, as uh, my deliverer. How many of you know God is constantly trying to introduce us to the person of Jesus Christ and intimacy with God as the greatest source of strength that our life can ever have? And in doing so, then you can face any Red Sea, you can face any storm, you can face any doctor's report, you can face any work challenges, you can face any social 
political, financial, you can stand in the face of that opposition and know that you know the Lord your God is with you. This is what the Lord is trying to do. Simply put, struggle produces strength. Struggle produces strength. How many of you like to have strength without having to have struggle? I mean, it is so true. God is never late. Would you agree? Like, he's never late. But boy, does he miss a lot of opportunities to be early. I'm just like, come on, Lord. Like, you know, I'm patient, but hurry. The struggle produces strength. And this is part of the process. You're not going to like what I'm saying. I'm talking to giant killers in the wilderness. The struggle is part of the process to prepare you for the promise so you don't arrive there too quickly, not being prepared for war. And this is what we read in Exodus chapter 13. We're going to talk about Exodus 13 and Numbers 14 today. And so I want to read to you Exodus 13 Uh, Verses 17 and 18. Lord, I just sense um, a sense of spiritual momentum. And I thank you that you're awakening something within us that truly does carry the power to transform the world around us. And I pray that even as we read your word, we would just allow your word to have its work in our hearts. Things grow within us when we gather around the public reading of Scripture. And I pray that we would understand that particularly in our generation, we've paid little to no regard to the power of what you desire to do, even in the public reading of Scripture. So we just want to pause anytime we're reading your word And give our undivided attention and focus, Lord, to what you're desiring to say. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, after all the plagues, everything going on, finally, by the way, the plagues disassembled the gods of Egypt. I don't know if you realize that or not, but each plague addressed another of the idols that existed in the world's system and God's trying to dismantle those idols that exist within the church world today when Pharaoh finally let the people go God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory or enemy territory even though that was the shortest route (laughs) it's the shortest route to the promised land God said if, they, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. This is an important text of Scripture, and let me ask this question before we continue reading. Were they ready for battle? It indicates here they were not ready for battle because they might turn back and actually try to go back to the world system if things got too rough too fast. So they needed to walk through a bit of a process. But notice what this goes on to say in verse 18. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites, here it is, left Egypt like an army ready for battle. 
They were not an army ready for battle, but they were leaving Egypt like an army ready for battle. In other words, they were going to become an army ready for battle, but they are not yet ready for battle. I've learned this in my own life. Uh, we feel like we're ready before we're actually ready. I remember when I was putting gas in, the, in my car one time and my 12-year-old daughter uh, slipped over into the driver's seat just to get her feet reaching the pedals. And when I turned around and saw that she was sitting in the car and she was actually tall enough to drive the car, I grabbed my chest. I began to pray fervently, God, you've got to not let this happen. I do not want this girl to drive a car ever. This is dangerous. I mean, I, it, something happened in me when I realized she was actually big enough to drive a car. How many know children are old enough and the reproductive system starts to, pr to develop sooner than they need to be having children, right? You can have children too early. That's why the Bible says everything is beautiful in its own time. A 14-year-old girl uh, being pregnant is not beautiful in its time. Though she is capable doesn't mean she is ready. And when you get a couple that they've walked through the confines of the covenant of marriage and then they're having children, that is beautiful in its own time. And we have to value the process to get us from here to there that we might walk into a place of true beauty of God's perspective. They were like an army ready for battle, but they were not yet ready for battle. These were giant killers in the wilderness. And I'm just declaring that today, some of us have come out of the world system not realizing we have more capacity than we actually do ability. And I'm calling to capacity. The Bible speaks of deep calling to deep. There are layers of capacity that exist within you that actually are striving, trying to come out of you into a place moving from capacity to ability, but you've got to walk through a process to take your capacity and unlock ability as a result of the capacity that exists within you. See, resistance will reveal you. Resistance will, anybody can show up at this church and be happy about this church when you're greeted in and you're welcome and everybody's happy around you, but then like something happens and there's a point of resistance or something frustrating happens, then all of a sudden we start to see what's really in you. I mean, as long as you celebrate it, everything's fine. But any moment of correction, and we believe in biblical instruction and we believe in biblical correction. In other words, if something in your life seems to be off, we as a pastoral team, we want to have a conversation with you and ask you about something that might be a deeper issue that might frustrate you because we're kind of getting nosy. But that's just what the Bible calls us to do as family. And so once you resist somebody, you start to kind of see what's inside. Once you experience frustration or disappointment, then something in you might start to come out. And it's not the circumstances fault. How many of you know? It's what exists within you. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this last week, I, I had a really bad experience. I was sitting on my back porch, and that's where I like to just go. After my devotion time, I just sit out there and I just pray. And, and I, I felt I was in the, you know, the third heaven. Michael, the archangel, might have been stroking my forehead when Tracy burst out the back door. And she says, the electricity has gone off in the, in the closet. And, and before I could even, you know, say a, a Bible verse or anything, she's running around the house going to the electric panel. And I was like, well, I can help you. And so I 
put my stuff aside and I go run around. By the time I get around, she's got the panel open. She's looking at this. This girl is so ambitious. Pray for her. And she's looking at all these buttons, and so we, you know, I get over there, and then I, I just, let's just get this out in the open. I am not a spiritually gifted fix-it man. There's not a spiritual gift of mine at all. And I'm looking at all these switches, and I find the one that's, you know, red, and I switch it over and think, I have fixed the house, and it fixed back. So we realized we've had two fixtures installed in this room. Somebody who installed them, one of the wires wasn't exactly tight enough, I guess. And so out of the presence of the Lord with Michael the archangel, you know, enjoying, I'm now doing what I do not like to do. I'm standing on a stool in a closet with no light. It's dark. I've got a flashlight in my mouth trying to aim it. And I've got these tiny little screws, and I can't reach because the thing's not high. So I have to go get another three-step stool, and I'm up there, and I'm unscrewing this thing. And I finally, you know, I drop one of the screws, and then it's just like, Ugh! you know, and now what, how am I going to put it back together? I can't find the screw. So now Tracy's got her flashlight. She's on the floor looking, and I'm, I, I, I said out loud, this is so frustrating. To which she said, in the most politely irritating way <laughs> you can possibly imagine. It doesn't have to be. <sighs> and I am, I'm holding a screwdriver in my hand. <laughs> and Michael's out on the back porch still waiting on me to come back. Now I'm totally in the flesh. What comes out of you in a moment of frustration actually reveals you, not so God can see you. He knew it was there, but so you then can take a look. How many of you have heard money changes people? I want you to understand something. Money actually doesn't change people. Money reveals people. And so whenever you get shaken up, something happens, frustration, disappointment, collision, you know, whatever that is, emotional interaction, and something spills out of you that, that is undesirable, that's not God discovering what's in there. That's you discovering what's in there. And God is trying to help us discover what's in there so that we recognize the, the capacity that might be held back from becoming ability because if God entrusts too much to our care too soon, we won't be prepared to function and operate on the level he wants to entrust to us see success and suffering both reveal you i know you'll you'll probably chuckle and you'll think i'm being funny i'm not at all but your driving experience on the highway actually does communicate something that is going on inside your heart and I had to stop and evaluate this in my own life like people cut me off and i'm just like i can be a jerk sometimes I mean, it's the devil, you know, not me. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say that, but it's actually me. Like it's, it's an area of my life that's unrenewed, not broken, not humble, not loving, not considerate, not kind. None of the things that Jesus wants, it just comes out. And I'm like speeding up and I'm, you know, and so this, I don't know, about maybe a year or so ago, I, I said something to Tracy and the girls. I said, I just feel like the Lord's doing a deep work in me right now. And it's like, he's like using my driving as a training ground to see some of what's coming out of me so that I can surrender that more readily to him. 
And I said, I want you to watch me when I'm driving. Worst thing I could have ever asked them to do. I want you to watch me when I'm driving, and if you see anything that shouldn't be there. And so, like, sometimes people are like, kind of like, mm. <laughs> still revealing, isn't it? Success and suffering. And I felt this last week, the Lord was speaking to me as well. I was debating if uh, to go into it today, but let me just say it, and then I'll leave it with you. Success will reveal you, suffering will reveal you. And seduction will reveal you. The Bible speaks of the whore of Babylon as the world system. That's why we read it in the New Testament Scripture, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Seduction. Everybody has a different sense of seduction. Everybody has a different place of temptation. And when temptation comes your way, your response reveals you. It reveals what you rehearse. It reveals what you nurture. It reveals what you value and what you don't. I just sense the grace on that statement. So, Father, um, just before we move on from that, I believe you are addressing issues in our lives, not only of success, not only of suffering, but also issues of seduction. In those places of temptation where we have chosen to dance with the enemy and cooperate with his efforts to hijack not only our attention but our affection, giving us a divided heart. I pray, Lord, you would reach deep into our lives and help us today, Lord, to be fully cooperative of what you're desiring to do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Discovering what is inside of you is a very important process of becoming who God designed you to be. The thoughts you rehearse will either silence your capacity or awaken your ability. In other words, what you think about matters. So think about what you think about. Because the thoughts you are rehearsing. You know, I was sharing with somebody recently, we've had multiple pastors over the years that have come through and been a part of our church ministry that have been um, restored and redeemed in a variety of ways. Just been part of our assignment for whatever reason. And, and I thought of just the perspective of what that looks like for somebody to find the grace of God as they have, uh, I, I think of one particular uh, scenario Tracy and I walked through years ago with somebody and like we participated with their counselor, with them as a couple, and, and watched God just redeem and restore that which was seemingly completely lost. And aren't you thankful to God that he will always reach into our situation when we're willing to surrender that to him? But we have to pay attention because even in that uh, situation, I sat with that uh, that individual, and he had he had been engaged for about a year of a full-blown affair. And uh, I remember, I mean, it's probably almost a decade ago, just sitting and talking with him, and I, and I said, and, and I'm just being vulnerable, we're all capable. You need to know that. We're all capable. And I sat with him, and I said, can you just tell me, how did you get from there to here and what is your advice to me to never find myself there? 
And, and he began to share with me incredible uh, intricacies of that which was taking place. Ways that he found himself testing the water of inappropriate affection to see if there would be a reciprocal response. I mean, I was, I was really surprised at how detailed of an explanation this person was able to give me. And this is what, this is what I know, that anybody who crashes has run through an abundance of roadblocks of God's grace before they actually finally ultimately crash. God is trying to get our attention. And I'm just telling you, I feel the Lord asking me, will you give me more of your heart than you've ever given me before? And I'm trying to learn what that means. And it takes time in the presence of the Lord. It takes taking scriptures and converting them into prayers so that I'm interacting with the Lord in the course of his word. It takes turning off the TV, getting rid of all the screen time that's hijacking your life. This has the capacity to take complete control of the faculties of your life, locking up all of your capacity, never allowing it to become ability, and you remain a giant killer who's stuck in the wilderness incapable of moving into a place of war. Anybody feeling a sense of conviction this morning? You know what I love about the Lord? Repentance always produces refreshing. And our willingness to repent always brings about an amazing sense of refreshing. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 14. And I want to read... Ten verses of Scripture. Here's where uh, the Israelites, they again, they weren't ready for battle. And then, you know, he, that was in Exodus. Here we are now in Numbers. They've gone out. They've sent 12 spies to look at the land. They've come back and said, yes, this is the land. This is ultimate. Uh, and, and there are some giants there. And so ten of these spies had one report. And two of these spies, Joshua and Caleb, had another report. And so uh, then they, they fussed over the report, and here's the conversation that went after that. Then the Lord, starting verse 1, Numbers 14, then the whole congregation lifted up their voices and cried out, and that night the people wept. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. How many of you know discouragement does not make any sense at all? No logical sense at all. You come to all kinds of emotional conclusions that lack any type of logic, and that's just the nature of that emotional conclusion. Once you're spiraling out of control and you've not stepped forward in what God's asked you to do, you have no frame of reference of, of really staying the course in keeping your, your mind focused within him. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? That's a lot of faith. Why is the Lord bringing us in this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our children, they're going to become plunder. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. They're saying, we're going to start our own church. We don't like this leader the way he's doing it. Then Moses, verse 5, and Aaron fell face down before the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, J-man, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the whole congregation of Israel, the land we passed through and explored is an exceedingly good land. 
if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, for they will be like bread for us. This is really great verse of scripture. They will be like bread for us. I want to just say to you that today's enemies produce tomorrow's nourishment to win the battle that is actually ahead. Simply put, struggles produce strength. Your enemies are not there to defeat you. Your enemies are there to promote you. They will become like bread, nourishing you and preparing you to go into a greater place of promise if you will allow God to have his way. They will be like bread for us. Their protection has been removed, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them, verse 10. But the whole congregation threatened to stone Joshua and Caleb. Wow. I just want us to really realize today, because I am calling to giant killers in the wilderness. That means there's capacity that exists within you that actually God is breathing on in these moments together that can be awakened to move from capacity to ability, but you have to be willing to allow him to take you there. And and it's important that we all understand, when you discover your God-given identity and you move from capacity to ability, not everybody in your life is going to celebrate you, but God will sustain you. In other words, recognize this, it is impossible to embrace all God has for you and keep everybody in your life happy. Joshua and Caleb were rising up in an attitude of faith and expectation. There was this capacity within them that God was drawing out to become, move from capacity to ability to step into the fullness of God's plan for their life. And the people around them that wanted it just to remain as capacity and not move to ability, they were threatened by what was being said. Not everybody's going to be happy with you, but God will sustain you if you'll keep your focus and your attention on him. Joshua and Caleb would later be the only two of the, tw- of the 12 that would survive the wilderness experience. And they then literally would become the giant killers of that next generation. I believe we're unlocking some capacity today. I'm calling you out of wandering in the wilderness. You were born for more than showing up at church when you can conveniently fit it into your schedule. We need to hear this today. In the day in which you and I live, we have, treat, uh, we have created a, uh, a system that's treated the gathering of the church like any other community gathering. It would be like the baseball uh, gathering of families and the pottery-making gathering of families and whatever other gathering of families and, and, and the church religious gathering of families. I want you to know this is a gathering unlike any other gathering. The community that you and I to experience in this place doesn't just have to do with the wonderful people that are sons and daughters of God, though that is wonderful, but you have to understand there is a special blessing of God's presence that's actually promised when we gather together. What I'm saying is this atmosphere grows giant killers. There are things growing inside of us when we gather in his presence. It is so important that you Pursue God and know his presence in your personal life 
as a family, it's important that you know God and pursue him. But gathering together, this place helps draw us into a perspective. And it's not the place, it's just the presence of the Lord as a result of the gathering of his people that he promises. When we gather as a church, we breathe in the very breath of God together in ways that we cannot when we're doing this thing alone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You know, 2023 is off of the heels that when we talk about our New Year's revelation, 2023 is off of the heels of understanding 2022, everyone is created for abundant life. How many of you know you are created for abundant life? That is your design. But do you realize not everybody who is created for abundant life is going to get to experience abundant life because some people choose temporal life instead. In other words, they just live their life focused in the wrong direction. And so I want to just ask that we would take some time just to listen together. Before we conclude, we're, we're taking a season of time. This isn't the new model of, of how to do church, but you're experiencing this every week where we come to the conclusion of a message where we've kind of come around the Word of God. Then we just take a few moments and we listen. And I would invite you in, in the presence of the Lord in this place that we just listen for what he's desiring. Here's my commission to you. We still want to give you our, we bring God's presence to real life. We want to give you your action point, uh, what our challenge is, but then we want you to hear whatever the Lord would have to say. And so this week, your action point out of today's uh, gathering is I want to encourage you to invite somebody you trust in your five-foot circle, somebody that's around you often. That's what a five-foot circle is. You, you, they're going to be within five feet of you this week maybe multiple times. Invite somebody that you trust in your five-foot circle to help you identify complaining or anything else that's coming out of you that shouldn't be so that you can begin to address the deeper issues that exist within you. How many of you in this room think you might have some issues that have hidden really well uh, down deep inside? Can I just see? Raise your hand. That's you. Confession's really good for the soul. And I really love... Uh, you know, not all church atmospheres are that transparent. I could ask that same question in a lot of gatherings today, and people would just kind of look around and like not want to confess that. But like we have a church family where we understand we're all on a journey just trying to find our way. Nobody's got it figured out. The Lord's dealing with things. Listen, the Bible speaks of hostilities that exist within us that actually fight against God. Those hostilities don't exist within us in a way that they're obvious. The enemy's too sneaky for that. They kind of get embedded, logically justifiable. We then start arguing against dealing with them. Those are called strongholds, vain arguments uh, that the Bible reveals. And so we need the Lord to help deliver us from that. So I just, we're just going to be quiet before the Lord. And, and I, I, again, I want you to value the atmosphere that we have in the gathering. That's, that's just why... I would invite you on Tuesday morning. This room, I was surprised how full this room was at, I'm sorry, at Sunday morning, at 10 o'clock this morning before anything started where um, those that are serving and volunteering, you know, if they're on the schedule, then they come in to pray, but others are starting to come in as well. And there's something happening in our brief time of prayer on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. that's very enriching and awakening to our lives. There's some classes that meet prior to that, and we all come in here and press in. I would invite you, show up. 
and let's pray into the morning before we show up just to receive what the worship team's going to give us and who's going to talk to us today. Let's really be those that engage on a deeper level. And if you really want to go gangbusters uh, in the pursuit of gathering and your schedule would permit, Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. we gather in this room for prayer. Just an early morning, just, you know that Bible verse, the early bird catches the worm. Should have been in there. Lord, we love you. Something so precious just about being ourselves together before you. I pray, Lord, you'd bring to mind for each of us the person that we should invite to help look in on our lives in that five-foot circle, paying attention to things that come out of us that need to be addressed. And I pray, Lord, just as we take a few moments to listen, that we would hear any instruction in any direction. For your word says we will all be taught by God and all of our children will be taught by God. So we just want to take a moment and make sure we're paying attention to what you are saying in our gathering together. So just hone in your ears just to listen to what he might desire to reveal for a few moments before we conclude in worship. <laughs> 